Hi, everybody. Welcome to the 100 Pounders meeting of OA. Today is the 6th of September 2023, and I'm absolutely delighted today to have a speaker with us, Hannah C. Hannah first came in to OA in July 2018. She's originally from Hampshire in the UK and is now living in London in the big smoke. So, Hannah, you can tell us your story. Take it away. Thank you very much. Can I just check? Can everyone hear me? Great, thank you. Apologies in advance. I've had some slight tech issues today. Um, if it's all right with you, I'd like to start with a prayer because I'm feeling quite nervous and anxious. God, thank you for bringing me here today. Please remove my ego. Please remove my fear. And please help me be of service to each and every person listening to my words. Please speak through me to everyone here. Thank you, everyone. Um, I never really know how to start uh, doing shares, um, but I suppose I always think of, I, I don't know why I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm really grateful that OA has given me a program where the why doesn't matter. For years, I sort of tied myself up in a why around, why am I the weight I am? Why, why do I look this way? And then I came into OA and I, in my first ever meeting, it read the, uh, our invitation to you. And it says the reasons for our illness are unimportant. And that felt really counterintuitive. I was like, oh, hang on, wait, why? That, that, that's not important here. Um, and then I got the big book and I read the doctor's opinion. And it talked about the fact that we have a problem with the mind and the body. And I, I didn't really get that at first. But I then remember someone in a meeting talking about the idea of what the problem of the body looked like. And... And I really related to it. And it's that recognition that I have a body that can physically consume huge amounts of food. And other people don't seem to physically be able to eat the quantities of food that I can put in my body. And then I have that coupled with a mind that tells me eating that amount of food is the solution. And it ignores the fact that it has actually never solved anything. And that combination of a body that can physically take that kind of abuse and a mind that tells me that kind of abuse is going to help me is what brought me into OA. That's the best I can give you as a why I'm here. And um, and I when I think about when it started, um, I can't remember ever not being that. I can't ever rem remember not having a body that could do that and having a mind that had that as well. And um, my mom has told me, and I've seen the photos, that literally the day I was born, the day I was born, my first photos of me are with my middle finger and my ring finger in my mouth, sucking them, soothing myself orally. Ever since I was born, I have sought comfort through my mouth. And I sucked my thumb up until I was probably about seven or eight, you know, up until a point where my dentist was having a word with my mum and dad. Like I have always turned to oral fixations to soothe myself. If you were to ask my family what, you know, something iconic from my childhood, it was that I used to carry a little bit of ribbon with me everywhere I went. My whole family, every car, cupboard and drawer was full of these scraps of ribbon. And I would suck my thumb and rub that ribbon on my nose to soothe myself because I can't cope with life on life's terms. I never have been able to. I don't know why that is, but 
actually, I love the fact that that's not important. And, you know, what I know is that from a young age, I somehow picked up a belief that I am wrong, that I, I'm a wrong person. And as a young kid, I remember this manifested in the fact that I used to genuinely believe some people shouldn't be allowed to have children. And the reason they shouldn't be allowed to have children is because someone should have stopped my mum and dad from having me. I shouldn't have been around. Someone should have prevented me from coming into this planet because I'm a broken human. I'm a bad example of what a human should be. And I had that thought at seven, eight years old. You know, I don't know where that thought came from, but it was there. And so that wanting to then soothe myself orally, soothe myself with food, soothe myself with sucking my thumb, which I then had to stop doing, then led me to the overeating, which led to the weight gain, which then reinforced that belief that I'm wrong. Because look at this body, this body is wrong. And it just became this really vicious cycle. And bless them, my, my parents did the best that they could. But I just don't think they were equipped to support me the way that I needed. Um, I had a mum that was going through her own battles with food. Um, I, I remember, you know, doing workout VHSs in the front room with her at, you know, like seven, eight years old. I remember taking like before photos of her before she'd go on a diet. Uh, I remember all of those diet shakes, supplements around the house and all of that. And um, and as the weight kind of piled on, I, I do remember once, and it's ironic it's this time of year, but um, there's a well-known department store in the UK called Marks and Spencer's. And I think if you're of a certain age, your back to school trip was a trip to Marks and Spencer's to get your school uniform. And I remember going to the big one and my mum trying to find some trousers. And I remember they were like the biggest ones they did in the children's size and they wouldn't fit. And I remember my mum really trying to pull these trousers over my stomach and trying to button them up. And it just became very clear that these did not fit. I remember the anger in her just saying, take them off, I'll find something else. And as an adult, I can look at that and go, she was angry at the trousers. But as a 10-year-old, she was angry at me. And I remember just being stood in this changing room like, I'm broken, I'm bad, I'm wrong, I don't fit, this is not right. And, you know, I, and coupled with a father who would tell me things like, you'd be so pretty if you lost weight. I just had this narrative of I'm wrong. And that was just too painful. It was too painful for me to live in that. And I think it's at that point that denial just became the number one, number one game. I, I could not physically comprehend the pain of feeling like I am wrong from the inside out. So it was just denial. That's the only way I could cope. And, you know, I, yeah, I just kept turning to the food and it numbed me out and it, and it really supported that denial. Because also I think it's really important that I remember that at one point I ate because it worked. Like it, it led to a really beautiful denial for years and it, it kept me going for years. The problem was, is that every time I binged and I overate, its effectiveness wore off a little bit every single time. 
And the cost of that binge went up every single time. And at some point they overtook. At some point, the cost was so much higher than any benefit I got from it. By that point, though, it was too late. I was way gone. And the denial was so big. And I'm just someone where my weight just crept up and up and up and up and up. I never had any kind of weight loss before. It was just a constant. And it was just because I was in denial. And most importantly, I was in denial that I had a problem with food. I was so, I had such a strong belief that I had a problem with weight. It was a weight problem. And once my weight sorted itself out, everything else in my life would fall into place. It was like dominoes. You'd hit that domino. I'd lose weight. Then I'd be happy. Then I'd find the man of my dreams. Then I'd get rich. Then I'd drive a Lamborghini and da, 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 da. All these magical things will happen once I lost weight. That was the problem. That's the first domino. And I think that, kind of allowed the food to just keep progressing because we know this is a progressive illness it gets worse and ever better when left unchecked and for me I was in chronic denial throughout all my teens and pretty much all my 20s and what it had to get is it had to get to a point where the food was so that crazy and so nonsensical that I couldn't lie myself into denial anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't explain it away anymore. It was so crazy, the stuff I was doing with food. It's like, I can't ignore it anymore. It's this huge, big elephant in the room. Like the problem isn't your way, it's the food. And, you know, the, I, gosh, you know, the amount of eating in secret and the, the, oh gosh, the, the one that always springs to mind that feels like the real pinnacle was I had gone to one of my favorite places to binge on food and I'd ordered this food and there was an area to wait around the corner so it's like out of sight of the kind of counter where I'd ordered it and there was a couple of little chairs and tables there and I was the only one there so I'd ordered my food I'd gone around the corner and I was waiting and I realized that a stranger had left food unattended on the table and I just started eating it like I started eating the strangest food that they'd left unattended. And I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? And I couldn't explain it. And at the same time, I couldn't stop. And then all of a sudden I hear, excuse me. And it's my food, my binge food ready, enough food to easily provide for four people. And like shame just came right up to my mouth. And it was like, oh, have they seen me have they seen me and I just kind of rustled around and I took the food and I started walking home and I was just crying I was like what am I doing what am I doing I'm about to go and eat all of this food and I know thank you acknowledged I know I'm about to eat all of this food I'm about to polish the whole lot off and there is nothing I can do about it and I felt so powerless it was like I've it's not it's not a, it's not a weight problem it can't be a weight problem this is a food problem and um I knew about OA because actually my mum had gone to OA when I was a teenager um she hadn't stayed around she decided it wasn't for her um but I kind of knew about it and that realization that maybe this is a food problem made me go to my first meeting um I did the classic of like going on OA.org looking at the available meetings not going to one, going back and checking again. Yep, that meeting still exists, still there. It's not magically disappeared. 
maybe I'll leave a bit longer, check again. Yep, no, meeting is still there. So I finally kind of plucked up that courage, walked through my first meeting. And it was in a church and I sat in a circle and I just about was able to say, my name's Hannah, I'm a compulsive overeater. And then I just sat and cried the whole meeting, big tears and just silently crying. And I I couldn't even tell you now what happened in that meeting. I can't remember any of it. But I just had this feeling of, oh, my God, this is it. This is where I belong. This is it. This is it. And actually, through working the steps, I now know that those tears, that feeling of, oh, my gosh, and overwhelm, that is 100% my higher power going this, this right here. Follow this. Pull this thread. Keep going here. Trust this. So I'm a firm believer that if tears are coming up, I follow it. I go with it and go, okay, God, right. I'm on the right track. This is where I'm going. Um, and so, yeah, I, I came into the rooms. That meeting is now my home meeting. I've been going there ever since. Uh, so that first meeting was in July 2018. And at the time, I weighed 180 kilos, which is just shy of 400 pounds, um, which is about 28 and a half stone. Um, I started working with a sponsor after a few months because I, I basically did everything other than work with a sponsor. Um, I got all the books. So I went to those meetings. I went to a region nine convention. I did everything other than get a sponsor. because I knew once I got a sponsor, I was going to actually have to like do it. Um, but I did it. I got the sponsor and by the grace of God, it's the same sponsor I have had this whole time. I started working with her. Um, my abstinence date is the 12th of the 12th, 12 and 12, lucky coincidence there. Um, and that was 2018, and I have been abstinent ever since. Um, I, I don't think there's a wrong way to work the steps other than to not work them. Um, I think there's such beautiful variety. Um, but I thought maybe it's helpful for me to talk about the steps that I was most terrified of. <laughs> um, I was really terrified about step two and three because I was not a religious person. I am not spiritual before coming into this program. And so the God thing kind of surprised me. I was like, oh, there's some God in this. Okay. Um, and I remember one of the most helpful things that my sponsor did was she is part of my step work. She suggested writing a list of things that would be really helpful for you to let go of when it comes to your belief around God. And the first thing on that list was that I can define God because I can't. It's too much. It's too God is too big. God is too powerful for me to be able to define it. I can't create a box and say, this is God, label it God. And everything in that box is God. I, I, I can't do it. I can't comprehend it. I can't define my higher power. It's too much. It's too big. The closest I've got to defining it is it is the belief that everything is exactly as it should be, because if it could be anything else, it would be. You know, my higher power is acceptance, that this is just how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a compulsive overeater. I'm supposed to be here with you today. I'm supposed to have tech problems that mean I can't share you my photos. This is how it's supposed to be, because if it could be any other way, it would be. Um, and then the other thing that I found really helpful for with my higher power 
was I remember it was a reading in a meeting. It was a lifeline reading in a meeting. And this lifeline, and I haven't been able to find it since, but this lifeline talked about how God is a feeling. I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. That's it. I've been trying to think God this whole time. I can't think God. I've got to feel God. No wonder I couldn't feel God in my illness. I had no relationship with my body. I've got to have a connection to my body in order to feel God. And, you know, and I spent all my life thinking my emotions because I didn't want to have a relationship with my body. My body was wrong. I was in denial. I didn't want to have that. So to actually then get abstinent, to have a relationship with my body, to be in my body, a big body, <laughs> and that's okay, was how I could then feel my higher power. And my higher power, I feel through my gut. Like, no wonder I confused it with hunger all those years. Like, I feel it in my gut. And to recognize that was so helpful. I can't think, God. Um, and then, yeah, the other step I was terrified of was step nine. Um, it was one of the few things I knew about this program was we all sit in a room and say our name. And then at some point we go around and apologize to people. That's all I kind of really knew. And I was terrified of the idea of going around and apologizing to people. But I tell you now, I am, a, I don't know if we're allowed to have favorite steps, but step nine is my ultimate favorite. Every single amends I did was unbelievable. And anyone who was fearful of step nine, please don't be. The step nine promises are at the other end of it for a reason. Um, I'll tell one story in particular. Um, I did a never amends to my granddad. My granddad is someone who was a very sick man. And I agreed with my sponsor that it was best that I didn't do it direct to him because I actually don't think he would have comprehended what was really going on. Um, and it was a, yeah, it, I, I agreed with my sponsor and never amends. And um, I went to, um, my granddad was in the Navy. I went to the National Maritime Museum and I, I sort of sat there and I felt connected with God. And I did my amends with God and I just burst into tears. Always a sign that God is with me. And just had this real release of like, oh my gosh, I just forgive him. I just forgive him for all the stuff that he did. And I'm so ready to let it go. And years later, a couple of years later, my granddad got really sick and it was very clear that it was his dying days. And I went back to Hampshire and I stayed with family and, and I was there and I was around. And by this point, I would really salvaged a huge chunk of my relationship with him. He died not knowing that I was in OA. Uh, and I never told him about the amends. I didn't need to. But I remember the very last conversation I had with him. And everyone was there and he was on his bed. And I was holding his hand and he suddenly sort of wiggled my hand. I sort of looked at him. And he just looked me in the eye and he said, I'm sorry. I said, for what, granddad? And he went, I don't know yet. And I sort of laughed. I said, what are you talking? I said, oh, you're putting one in the bank for later. We sort of laughed and he just smiled at me. We carried on. And it was after then I went, oh, that was my step nine. I got my amends. I got my amends back. It took a couple of years. And I don't think my granddad knew what was going on. 
but in his dying days, in his dying moments, in his last breath to me, he apologized. I got, I got my apology. And by the grace of God, I can sit here now and this watch is my granddad's watch. My nan gave it to me after he passed. And every day I put this on and I'm reminded of the time I lost to this illness. And I'm reminded of the time I have gained from recovery and what I have gained from it. And every morning I put this on and it is a commitment to myself, to my higher power and to my granddad. And I wear this every day. And if, if I, I pray each and every one of you get a step nine and that you have the patience and the time to get a step nine back, because that's what I did. And, um, and yeah, the, the other step that I was terrified on was um, my step 12. I did not want to sponsor anyone. I didn't like the idea of that. I thought, who am I? Who am I? <laughs> who am I to, to, to be somebody else's sponsor? And then when I kind of did it and, and I've taken on sponsees, I've had a handful of sponsees now, I really understand that oxymoron of in order to keep this program and give it away. Like the, the recovery that I have got from being a sponsor, how I work my step 12 is such a gift. Thank you, acknowledged. And um, to, to have a front row seat on somebody else's recovery is awesome. It's so awesome. And it is such a privilege and such an honor. It is an honor that someone would come up to me and go, I like what you've got. Can you show me what you did? And not only through the relationship I have had with my sponsor for the last four and a half, nearly five years, but through the relationship I've had with my sponsees, I've been able to see that that relationship is really unlike anything else. Like, it's not like family. It's not like friends. It's not like work colleagues. It's not like another fellow in OA. It, it's a truly unique relationship and it's one that I cherish so much with my own sponsor and my sponsees so I guess I would just say if there was anyone here who like me didn't want to get a sponsor who thought that there'd be a burden who thought there'd be an inconvenience or anything like that all I would say is, is please don't deny somebody else the privilege and honor of being your sponsor the, the, the privilege of them working their step 12 with you because you definitely aren't a burden you definitely aren't an inconvenience and the recovery that you can give your sponsor is invaluable so I'm aware I'm I, I thought I was not going to have enough time or potentially finish too early and so uh, um there's so much more I would could say um I suppose then in terms of my recovery, what does recovery look like now for me? Um, you know, I I do have a food plan um, I, and I'm very clear as well that my food plan is not my abstinence. They're not the same thing. Uh, my abstinence is I abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviours while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. My food plan is what I put in my mouth. They're two different things. Um, my food plan. So I have three meals a day. Uh, I don't have sugar or white flour. Um, and, and I have about a third protein, a third carb, a third veg, followed by a piece of fruit. Keep it simple. Um, you know, I don't do it perfectly by any stretch. There are times where I've had a meal and gone. That's probably a bit too big. There are times I had a meal and gone. 
that's probably a bit too small and I learned from it you know that's not a break in abstinence it's a there's gray there's there's gray areas and navigating the gray is part of what for me ongoing recovery looks like that's where my 10 11 12 comes in you know making sure that I I'm not trying to be a perfectionist which I absolutely can be um, and that I don't beat myself up about it um so in terms of my kind of emotional and spiritual recovery, I find that the steps have given me the chance to pause, <laughs> the chance to pause, the chance to be calm, the chance to, yeah, not try and be a perfectionist, the chance to just focus on my output and let go of the outcome. That it's my job to drop the stone. It is not my job for the stone to reach the water and for the ripples to go where they need to go. I let go of that bit. I I just do my bit and let go of everything else and just focusing on my part. And um, and I find my emotional recovery for me has really often been linked to the tool of anonymity. <laughs> um, I think anonymity for me was a tool that took me years to figure that tool out. I was like, I don't quite understand how... I work anonymity, but for me, I define it as sometimes I can just keep my mouth shut, <laughs> which I've not been very good at. I want to tell my opinion or if someone said something and I want to correct them or I want to stand up and go, no, that's not right. And I want to stand up for what I believe in. I've, I've worked in politics for years. I worked in charities, lobbying governments. And no, I want to stand up and say what's right. But the tool of anonymity has allowed me to go. I don't have to say it. If someone sick is doing something sick, I don't have to get involved. I don't have to speak up. I can just take a moment, pause, pray, and allow things to be what they need to be without inserting myself into them. And I find that has been absolutely a gift of recovery. Uh, the relationships in my life have improved dramatically. Uh, a couple of relationships I've said goodbye to um and that was necessary not through any animosity but just in terms of I live a different path now and I do different things now and that's okay um but I'm aware that this is a hundred pound a meeting so I'd like to spend some time on my physical recovery um in this program I have lost 190 pounds um so that's about 13 and a half stone which is about 85 kilos um I hated losing weight <laughs> I gave it to this program wanting to lose weight and I'd never lost weight before and as soon as it happened I did not like it I didn't like the fact that people came up to me and all of a sudden started commenting on my weight then you didn't comment when I put on weight and all of a sudden you're coming up to me going have you lost weight and now my body is a subject of conversation and Mm, don't like that at all I was still trying to get over the denial the fact that you could see me and you could, you were looking at my body and you were judging my body and the denial on my own body did not compute it was far too painful far too painful um I didn't like buying new clothes I didn't like going into a shop and trying to figure out what now fit me I didn't I've had multiple wardrobes in recovery in terms of rotating clothes and going down the dress sizes um I started at a UK dress size 26 28 although most of my clothes are a size 24 because I refuse to buy bigger than that um and I'm now probably a size 12 14 um you know I 
have had to go through more. And I didn't like it. I didn't like being in clothes shops. I didn't like feeling like I was getting attention. I found it really uncomfortable. Um, and I had to kind of come up with phrases and things to say that when someone went, oh, have you lost weight? I'd go, maybe. Because I couldn't actually have a conversation with it at that point. Um, or the classic one is, oh, haven't you lost weight? Tell me how you've done it. What did you do? What happens? What's next? You know. And what I've realized in recovery is that the people who probe on that question are probably the people that need to be in this room. And I can really have compassion with that. And as I have become more confident and stronger in my own recovery, I have found it easier. <laughs> it was a journey and a process, but I have found it easier. Sometimes it can still catch me off guard. I can go to the hairdressers and she goes, lost mine, haven't you? And I'm like, uh, uh, uh. and but you know it I get better at it I get dealing I, it's easier for me to deal with now than it was and I think that's just being able to have a relationship with my body now to 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 be in touch with my body and to recognize that my body is my home it's not some flat I'm squatting in it's my home and I want to treat it like my home and um and actually, I think when you're in a much bigger body, well, when I'm in a much bigger body, physical recovery really felt like weight loss. That was what physical recovery is. But I would say the biggest changes in my physical recovery haven't necessarily been on the weight loss. Like, it's, yeah, that's cool. That's great. But, like, I just look after myself more. I don't wear one of two outfits on rotation. I don't have everything be a mess around me. I clear up after myself. Um, I floss my teeth. Anyone who's heard of Cher from me will have heard me talk about my blooming teeth. I have spent thousands of pounds on my teeth in recovery. I think it's ironic that it's the one part of your body that can't heal itself, right? I, I did not look after my teeth for years and years and years. And I had some bad dentistry. And, I don't do that anymore. I've had teeth out in recovery. I've had crowns. I've had root canals. I've had fillings. I've had the whole nine yards. And I floss my teeth every day. If I'm going to bed and I'm thinking, I can't be bothered to floss my teeth, something's wrong with my recovery. Something's up. I'm, I'm, I've, I've missed a step 10. Something's not going right. I, I, I look after myself and I look after my health and I have a relationship with my body that means that when something's not quite right, I take action. And a couple of years ago, um, I apologies if this is TMI to anyone, but I noticed that my periods were a bit irregular and I noticed that my hair was falling out and I noticed that my acne, which I'd always suffered with, was really bad. And I was like, something's not right something's not right I know something's not right this is not I know my body now and I know that this is not what my body should be doing and I went to the doctors and by the grace of God I was diagnosed very quickly with early onset menopause um so I am 34 I think I was diagnosed at 32 um I don't have children um and so going Ready? through thank you is that time Okay, thank you. Um, so I'll just wrap up that, you know, I was able to take action. And I think being diagnosed with that has really helped me to just accept my body for as it is. 
for as it is and it, it's not always going to be what I want it to be it's going to be a body that gets sick it's going to be a body that you know has loose skin and wobbly bits that's where I'm at at the moment I have a huge amount of loose skin um God is doing some stuff in that department I've got a doctor's appointment with the NHS to talk about my loose skin anyone in the UK I think might know that's kind of unheard of um but you know and I didn't even ask for it. God presented that to me. It came in my path. So it's just my job to look after my body today, to accept my body today. It's a body that changes and grows. It's not a body that is static. And now that my weight has plateaued and is at a stable rate, it's still a body I'm accepting one day at a time, you know, and I can really just be grateful just be grateful because uh, my body I've abused it and I don't use that word lightly I have abused my body for a very long time and it's still here <laughs> and it's still going and it's still mine and it doesn't have to belong to anybody else oh high powers here because it's just my body and I can love it and I can choose that and I can choose to accept it as it is. Loose skin, wobbly bits, a uterus with no eggs left that's never going to give me a baby. <laughs> and I can still love it. And I can still love it. And that will always be the biggest gift that this program has given me. If it's given me nothing else, it has allowed me to move from a space of having no relationship with my body to just not hating it to kind of tolerating it to now being at a point where I can really now start loving it and accepting it and yeah I think I can probably wrap up there so thank you so much for letting me be here today and thank you for letting me be of service I hope I have been of service to you all thank you oh my goodness Hannah say thank you so much what a message of depth and weight look at all those that love you're getting i just want to read something based on a story in the big book for something you shared three page three to eight there's a story written by karen or it's called crossing the river of denial and she goes to say in fact i stopped wondering why me a long time ago it's like a man standing on a bridge in the middle of a river with his pants on fire wondering why his pants are on fire doesn't matter just jump in and that is exactly what i did with aa once i finally crossed the river of denial and we'll leave it there if you want to turn off the recording